bringing you the stories behind the standards. This is the BSI Education Podcast with Matthew Charles, Alan Sellers, and Cindy Parakil. Today's episode is on standards and the built environment. For me, digital sustainability, carbon abatement, net zero target, that those are those are the real big ticket items, but just the business as usual. When you've got a portfolio like we've got in the built environment, working with our experts, there's always something that needs doing and re-looking at to maintain this this cadre of information of, of good practice uh, that is up to date and is cognizant of what the industry is doing and what it now needs. Hello, my name is Matthew Childs and I am with Cindy Parakil. Hi Matthew. <laughs> Coming up in today's episode, we look at the relationship between standards and the built environment with BSI's very own Ant Bird, the voice you heard there at the top of the episode. Now, we talked to Ant about the history of standards in this sector, the current issues it's facing and how standards are being used to address them, such as achieving net zero by 2050. And we also talked to him about the future, about where standards might be needed next, such as in the area of smart home technologies. Standards Desk of News makes a welcome return after being rested for a couple of weeks. And if you are a postgraduate student studying at a UK university, then listen out for information about how BSI can help support your research project. But before we get into our conversation with Aunt Bird, it's probably worth defining, Cindy, what on earth we mean by the built environment. <laughs> that would be helpful. <laughs> now, this is a sector that is more than just construction but also the design and build of infrastructure, the manufacturing of construction projects, facilities management, asset management, but also the decommissioning, repurposing or demolition of works, which I suppose you could say is the unbuilt or previously built environment too. (laughs) So it's the built and the unbuilt environment. Now, as you can imagine, the value of this sector to the economy is significant. In pre-COVID times, construction, infrastructure and facilities management contributed to £808 billion. That's around 43% of UK GDP. And if we zoom into the construction sector, it becomes clear that it is one of the largest sectors in the UK economy, with a turnover of £370 billion and employing 3.1 million people. That's equivalent to 9% of the UK's workforce. And on the international front, in their Global Construction 2030 report, Oxford Economics forecast that by 2030, the volume of construction output globally will reach 155 trillion US dollars, with China, the US and India accounting for 57% of global growth in construction. Big numbers though, Sydney, big numbers indeed. But aside from those financial considerations, construction is fundamental to our economy and our futures. I mean, if you think about it, building the homes we live in, the schools and hospitals we rely on, and the offices we work in, actually well used to work in, and transport and energy infrastructure, I mean, it helps to keep everything going really. Yeah, it really does. Whilst the built environment makes a huge contribution to the economy and is undoubtedly a building block of our lives, from an environmental perspective, it is one of the largest carbon polluting sectors. I mean, in the UK itself, the built environment accounts for 40% of the UK's total carbon footprint. With the net zero target being so important, this sector is actually taking active steps towards merging the built environment with the natural environment to ultimately build back better. And standards have played a crucial role in greening this sector. 
So in this first part of our conversation with Ant Bird, we take a brief look back at the history of standards in the built environment and how standards in this sector have helped shape the world around us. We then move on to discuss the effect of COVID-19 and some of the other big issues facing the sector right now, such as building quality and safety, raising the standard of professional practice, and as Cindy mentioned there, greening the sector. But we begin with Ant's personal standards journey. From my perspective, it started a long time ago. It actually started 35 years ago for me. Um, I left school at 15. Uh, I went straight into college doing an ordinary national certificate for two years in building studies. And so the first time I picked up and utilised you know, hard copy standards was in the library of my college when I was you know, developing answers to coursework that was set before me. So it started long ago, and I'm only 50 this year, So, it, but it, you know, it's 35 years for me. Um, from there, I became a trainee uh, district surveyor for the city of Westminster, and then I worked um, building control for the Crown Estate, where we were overseeing the compliance of buildings with building regulations, and building regulations and the guidance there too rely heavily on standards, all types of standards, structural design, fire safety, accessibility you know they can't operate without standards and so a a big user of standards and an enforcer there and then the big change for me um, was when I flipped over and became a national regulator so I was UK fire regulator in charge of the fire safety aspects of the English building regulations uh, and and a lead negotiator at a European level on fire safety and the construction products directive as it was then and as a regulator I fully appreciated that um, we couldn't do our role as regulators for setting out what good looks like and how people can show compliance unless they used standards. And so, you know, I did that for some 15 years. In the end, I was head of technical policy for all of the English building regulations and had a great team there. And myself and all of my team used to come through the door of BSI and contribute to standards development on on the various committees that existed to help develop the content that was needed by all. And then finally, some seven years ago, it's gone full circle. I don't know if you want to couch it as sort of uh, gamekeeper term poacher or vice versa, but seven years ago, I came through the door as head of built environment for BSI. And so I get to work uh, with our all-important committee experts. I get to engage with those people that utilise the content of our standards and similar and actually better understand what new standards are needed for us to progress within the built environment sector. So it's gone full circle for me, Matt. And uh, it's been a journey. It sounds like a fantastic journey, actually. We we joke with our guests on on the podcast about whether people have been seduced or uh, or, or are steeped in standards. So your seduction took pr- place pretty early on. <laughs> after thirty five years, I think we're, we'll definitely class you as steeped in standards. Thank you. That's a fantastic personal journey, and how about a sector journey? Can you give us a brief history of standards and the built environment? Yes, of course. And again, you know. This is what excites me um, because I'm not going to be sort of uh, sit back on this, but it sort of started with the built environment. You know, I'm a massive advocate. I'm a building surveyor and building engineer by qualification, okay, with a specialism in fire safety. But everything you and I do, whether we're at home, whether we're at work, whether we're at college, uni, whether we're at sort of um, having a bit of fun, you're engaging with the built environment and infrastructure. So we're front and centre, and it's the same for standards. You know, you go back to 1903 with the first British standard, which was all about tram tracks um, and the rationalisation of, of copious amount of supply of tram tracks that people were confused, what do I pick, what do I select? 
BS2 was very much a structural steel British standard. Again, it was standardized steel, steel section. So it started way back then. And the story back then with BS1 and BS2 were two standards that were all about making things that work better together. And that's the basic backdrop to a standard. And that's what we're continuing to do today. So that's, you know, that's back in sort of 1903. And then I think what, you know, if you look at the history, given the importance and the size of the built environment sector and infrastructure, the reliance was set, the need and understanding and appreciation um, for standards was recognized because standards, you know, they're, they're a springboard for innovation, yes, but they're also a currency for you to to share best practice, to ensure interoperability between design and products and similar. And so what we saw over a number of years was a, a huge portfolio of standards being developed to support the built environment sector from a range of areas, you know, be it facilities management, digital transformation, design, structural design, sustainability, construction products. And so, you know, developing committees and working with our all important experts in this space. And we've got three and a half thousand experts that come through the the actual and virtual door of BSI to help us develop our content to our British standards. But over a period of time, we've developed and we now have a portfolio of some 8,000 standards plus in the built environment sector. And yes, while perhaps 20% of those standards are used to support things like compliance with regulations, 80% of our content still sits there as voluntary good practice guidance that the industry will utilize uh, to show what good looks like. And so that's really important to us because standards can help you achieve something. It's often one way to maybe support a compliance route, but actually it is there for what good looks like. And I, I still to this day find it really interesting. I mean, unfortunately, you know, the construction sector, no great surprise, is quite litigious, perhaps more so than ever. But even when you see a court case that looks at an aspect of construction, if there's no contracts in place, if there's no regulatory imperative, quite often the judge will look at uh, to see if there's any standards in place of good practice that he or she could call upon for an indication of what looks good looks like to help them in their judgment. Such is the embedding of standards. So, you know, we're the biggest sector in BSI for, for, for good reason, but we've got a long history and there's a real strong acceptance that, and people are well-versed in utilising standards in, the, in their day-to-day -day activities. Now, COVID-19 has been both the foreground and the background for all mm -hmm. of our lives for the past year, but I'm wondering what impact has the pandemic had on the built environment sector? Yeah, I mean, great question, but it will come as no surprise, Matt. It's been, you know, it's had a truly massive effect on the industry. The moment that you have to close down construction sites, stop production uh, in, in construction product factories, you know, it all stopped. And quite simply, and government recognised this, the industry did too, construction output in the UK and much of the world fell off a cliff. It stopped. Um, however, as you'll see, if you're sort of looking around your locality and similar, you'll see construction sites are back on are back on site now because there are very good rules in place and practices for, for COVID safe return. And BSI wrote some of the documentation to support that. 
uh, along with a number of uh, the excellent trade bodies that, that came together in that space too. So our, our construction sites are open, and you know you hear you hear the prime minister bounce the phrase "build back better." Yeah, well that started with the construction sector uh, because we realised that let's use this as an opportunity. I know we're still dealing with the fallout with COVID, but we seem to be in a far better place in the UK, and we hope uh, our brethren around the world catch up with that too. But we can use this as a springboard to improve pre-COVID because there are aspects of the built environment and the construction industry that were wanting. And so what's been really impressive for me when I look back to last summer, the Construction Leadership Council, which is really the voice of our industry, which is, you know, coming together of all the big hitters, all, all you know, all those that have a place in our industry, the Construction Leadership Council bring them all together in one place. It's co-chaired by industry and government, so it has a government minister chairing this as well. But what they did from the outset was develop a, a truly fantastic document called the Roadmap to Recovery, which really focused the industry's front and centre in terms of what we needed to be doing. It's broken down into three component parts. Restart, which was all about making things COVID secure. And as I say, the industry were great. The professional institutions, um, the representative bodies therein were writing fantastic guidance on how, it, how you can bring people back into construction sites and bring people back into manufacturing bases in a safe way. And as I say, we contributed to that BSI as well with our own secure working guidance, you know, developed in record time. So that's the restart bit. But then there was a real inward look where the, the Construction Leadership Council said, well, what else do we need? Well, we need to, we need to hit the reset button here. Because I say there were some wants and some problems and therefore they wanted to set out what good might look like in terms of how can we improve productivity and capability in our industry. And so they're seeing this is very much building upon the build back better approach of what else can we be doing? So you've got time to reset. We all had to stop. Can you now please start embedding better practices and approaches in, into everything you do? And that's where standards can help massively. And then the final piece that the CLC are pushing for, forward with is the reinvent piece, which is about truly transforming our industry and delivering better value. And so what we've done is hopefully going to be published imminently. We've taken that all important roadmap from the CLC and we've done a BSI standards overlay and mapped the various standards that best fit for helping you restart, because there are still some that have to restart, to reset and how you can better embed content that we've had there for an awful long time and then how you can reinvent and the sorts of things that we're looking at perhaps in the sustainability and, and the data and digital enablement uh, sort of agendas therein and so that'll be forthcoming so it's been massive but we can turn this to good fortune as long as we learn and start to embrace many of the tools that have been exactly you know been around for many years as we start to build out and build back better as we now move forward. It's, it's clear, and obviously the pandemic has had a, a huge impact on, on every sector and obviously the built environment as well. And clearly some, some plans underway there to make sure mm -hmm. that respond in as positive a way as possible. I just wonder if you strip out COVID-19, are there any other big issues facing the sector right now? Yeah, I mean, when, when you're dealing with an industry that, you know, it's worth about £130 billion a year at any one time, it employs two to three million people a year in the UK. You know, it's, it's going to have its fair share of issues. And, you know, you won't be surprised. You pick up a newspaper, you know, building safety is, you know, and compliance is, is often there. You know, as we sit here today, the, the Grenfell inquiry continues and there's insight and learnings coming from there that 
we're going to have to run with and learn from and make sure it never happens again. So they're building safety. That includes the likes of professional competence as well. And this is this is something that the professional institutions have been very, very good at within the built environment going forward. But what we're now realizing over over time is that perhaps when we look at some of, of those involved in the built environment, some of the professions and some of the more broader roles generally is just making sure how can we better assist people to understand that they understand their own competency? Because, you know, as I was taught when I go back, it's half the problem is being make sure that you personally understand when you don't have the competency at that stage to, to make a decision on something really important. I know I can't do that. Let me draw in somebody that has expertise. So professional competencies there front and center. There's a lot of to do with the quality of construction and buildings and infrastructure. You know, an, an analogy that's used quite often is, you know, you buy a brand new car today and, and the quality is generally really, really high. The reliability, not quite so. With the built environment, there's been a couple of articles, I think this morning, in fact, just talking about the build quality of new homes. You know, let's be honest with ourselves. We've been building homes for a very long time. We should be getting it right. And so what's going wrong? Well, things that go wrong could be maybe something to do with the construction products that are being utilised, the understanding of how they're being incorporated into a building, and so maybe the, the competency and capability of the builders themselves. And there's there's a bit of a scientific backdrop there as well, because, yes, front and centre, net zero and the sustainability and the journey out to 2050 is front and centre for our industry, not least because it's one of the biggest sort of uh, emissions providers, for want of a better term, in terms of carbon. Um, but... We don't truly understand how why buildings don't always perform as the they were intended. So we've got a big debate going on about design versus as-built performance. And again, that's an issue that continues. Housing supply sits there. The cost of housing, you know, the availability of workforces comes up. It's always in the news, whether it's you know whether it's for farming or whether it's for the for the construction industry. So workforce is always an issue, and a big one for us as well is productivity. If you go looking at our industry, which is so large, it's so important. As I say, it's sort of normally pre-COVID 6 to 8% of our GDP. Our productivity, when compared perhaps with manufacturing, is well down. And so what lessons can we learn there to improve our productivity, to make us more time efficient, to produce better quality assets? So we've got more than our fair share of issues, Matt. Are you a postgraduate studying at a UK university? Do you have a research idea or project that involves standards in some way? Well, if so, BSI Student Research Program can help. The way it works is simple. We gain valuable information about an area of interest to our standards work. While you can benefit from mentorship to support your project and the chance to gain knowledge and exposure that may increase your future employability. To find out more about the program, including case studies of previously supported projects and how to apply, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education. Now you can hear the second part of our conversation with Ant Bird later. But first, Cindy, shall we have the Standards Desk of News? Yep, let's do it.
The headlines this week, face covering standard receives public comments and business leaders confident of organisational resilience. The new community face covering standard has benefited from public comments and has been updated to include new environmental considerations, as well as enhanced guidance on labelling, cleaning, fitting, fastening and breathing resistance. The second version of the standard, called BSI Flex 5555, is freely available for use to help UK manufacturers, test houses, retailers and consumers to ensure single-use and reusable face coverings are safe and fit for purpose. Now, we highlighted the call for public comments on this standard in our Standards Desk of News back in January in episode 15. The publication of BSI Flex 5555 coincides with a gradual easing of lockdown restrictions across the UK. And despite the pandemic, the confidence of leaders and the resilience of their organisations has risen, according to BSI's fourth annual Organisational Resilience Index report, which surveyed 500 senior leaders across the world. The index found that leaders remain cautiously optimistic, with 57% of businesses in the UK, the US and India expecting their financial performance to improve this year. The concept of organisational resilience refers to an organisation's ability to anticipate, prepare for and adapt to both incremental change and sudden disruptions in order to survive and thrive, capabilities that have certainly been put to the test in the past year. As a whole, perceived organisational resilience across organisations globally rose in 2020, with 33% of leaders fully confident in the resilience of their organisations, 5% more than in 2019. The report also found that looking after the well-being of employees, customers and communities was vital for rebuilding organisational resilience. And that's the Standards Desk of News for this week. As always, you can find links to those news stories in the episode notes. Here's me again with a quick reminder that for more information on BSI Education, go to bsigroup.com forward slash education. This link and others on the themes raised in this episode can be found in the episode notes. Do please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and share us on social media using the hashtag BSIEdPod. And if you have any comments or questions about this episode or previous episodes or ideas for future episodes, then do please get in touch at education at bsigroup.com. We really welcome your feedback. Now let's return to our conversation with Ant Bird. In part one, we talked about the history of standards in the built environment and the impact of COVID-19. In this second part, we discuss the current priorities for standards development in the sector, such as sustainability and developing professional competence. Ant also looks ahead to where standards may go next for things such as smart home technologies and building quality. And what are the current priorities for standards development in the area of built environment, specifically to build back better? Well, it's it's interesting because you can you know I've just rattled off a list of of of, of potential issues that are keeping the industry busy, but you start to get some very clear horizontals that cut across not just built environment but much of what we do. So yeah, I can't not talk about building safety, and so you know when I think about the portfolio of 
standards that we have and our committee experts that help us write standards such as codes of good practice, such as design standards, such as methods of test and fire test and classification. Building safety is key. Okay, so government, so you know, from you know, Her Majesty's government, and from an English building regulations perspective, there's a new Act of Parliament going through uh, the Building Safety Bill. Um, it's been through parliamentary scrutiny, but it's going to come back for a second reading. That's all about responding to what we, we witnessed on that fateful morning on the 14th of June, 2017, at Grenfell. There are new things being put in place there because through you know, through sort of independent reviews by the likes of Dame Judith Hackett. Um, and her look at building regulations and fire safety. She lifted the lid on an industry that, again, there are concerns over, you know, are people clear on, on roles and responsibilities? Are people clear on competency and what they're capable of doing? Are there appropriate sanctions in place to make sure people, that if they don't do it appropriately, you know, how, you know, how is that addressed? And so there's a big piece of work happening there. So we're supporting that. And a, and a core component of that is that we're just using our flex system of standards development to go out shortly with the third iteration of a competency framework standard that will go out and set out what good looks like for assessing competency. What will sit beneath that will be a, a small suite of PADs, publicly available specifications, for, for particular roles in our industry, because we're going to start seeing for the first time in the built environment new regulated roles. So we'll be seeing a sort of a principal designer, a principal contractor and a building safety manager. So that's taking place. Under the same backdrop of building safety, we've got lots going on too in terms of new assessment methodologies for those have to, having to have their cladding systems and external cladding walls uh, assessed in light of learnings from Grenfell. Um, and there's going to be something called the golden thread of information as well, because again, and this is the crossover piece for me, nothing really stands alone in the building environment. And a, and a big piece of some of the solutions we're looking at are digital solutions and, and, and digital enablement. And so this golden thread of information that was a, was a major recommendation from Dame Judith Hackett in her Building a Safer Future report, in fact, is that actually you should have a live document typically held digitally that lives with the building asset and which captures how the building was designed, how the building was constructed, how the building is maintained, which is available to the relevant individuals so they can make informed decisions for the maintenance and servicing of that building all the way down through its decommissioning and ultimately either its repurposing or its demolition. And so there's a big piece there. And, you know, and so when we talk about the digital piece and digital transformation, BSI and its experts, um, we have to say this, have been world leading in terms of actually dragging my industry, and I can say my industry, into, into the 21st century, because we didn't embrace digital. You know, we haven't seen and haven't benefited from what we've witnessed in advanced manufacturing, for example, and that's probably where the car analogy comes in, with them, you know, being a far better place. We haven't incorporated those learnings into how we build buildings, okay? And we're starting to. And something called building information modeling, and maybe you need, Dan Rossiter, my, my head of digital in my team, uh, you know, maybe draw him in for a bit of a podcast too, because this, this is really worth a lot of discussion. But it's what we can do. And the digital approach in terms of, you know, the right information at the right time to the right people in the right form, what it means in terms of the times it saves, the quality improvements you can see, because when people are clear what they're actually designing, what they're building, you don't get what we call reworking, knocking down what you've built on site and then 
correcting it. You get a better quality building because you get you get the products incorporated in the building that you always thought you were getting. You know, doesn't always happen. Um, and the, so better assuring the quality and the performance. So that's really important. So, you know, in terms of building information modeling, you know, we're, we started developing our content um, through some some very insightful experts in this space, both within Bayes and within our industry a number of years ago. And BSI, with our experts, developed a suite of standards in the, in the digital build, building information modeling space. And we published them and with the support of government and Bayes particularly, we published them at free a point of download. And that, that content got downloaded 145,000 times around the world. Such was the interest. And again, this is where you can really work within the spirit of standardization in terms of we took that content and we elevated it to ISO, International Organization of Standards. And, and so that's now being turned and there's a number of them already published at ISO level in terms of ISO standards for use around the globe. Because the other big backdrop for me and the importance of the digital is, you know, it's it's quite groundbreaking in terms of how, you know, it works better if everybody follows the, the same broad good practice because it allows interaction. It provides a currency of discussion. It allows for interoperability of products and arrangements. And it's hugely powerful. And so, you know, so us as a priority, we've got more to do in the build the building information modeling space, but also in the, in the next sort of step from that, which is digital twins and how you can have a digital rendition of the actual asset itself and how you can, you know, you can bring that up into real time monitoring and understanding of how a building is truly performing. Uh, and so that's huge. And then, of course, when we look at priorities, we can't not mention net zero broader sustainability. I think it's fair to say, and having been a regulator that was in charge of what we call part L of uh, the building regulations, which was looking at energy efficiency in buildings, uh, both new and existing, is that we have come a long way in the built environment sector in terms of actually a move towards net zero and carbon abatement. But we've got a long way to go. We've got a huge way to go. And so a big priority for us and where we're working really closely with industry and certainly Claire Price, who's my lead on this in, in, in the built environment, doing amazing work, again, with, with stakeholders, with government departments and similar, is where we're looking to bring about and support energy efficiency retrofit in buildings. So, yes, we started within the domestic situation. So, you know, PAS 2030, PAS 2035, which is all about energy efficiency retrofit in your home and my home. But also we're just coming to the end of developing PAS 2038, which is energy efficiency retrofit in non-domestic. And this is all about, OK, you know, we can keep squeezing the pips on brand new buildings, but we know the elephant in the room is in our case is the 27 million existing homes, which are in various states of performance when it comes to energy efficiency. So putting guidance out there as how you can upgrade your home and my home, be it, you know, be it by the selection of, of, of additional insulation materials being applied within the loft space, the, the, you know, the lower floors, or be it solid wall insulation, careful selection of, of windows and detailing, uh, as well as mechanical and electrical provision in our homes is truly important. And if we're going to meet our net zero target by 2050, and the built environment has a big part to play in this, these are things we've got to look at. So there's activity there. We have other content too, 
We have PAS 2080, which is carbon management in infrastructure. And that's hugely important because it, it puts front and center to make sure that the client is thinking whether, the, whether they sit behind a regulatory backdrop, whether being obliged to do it or not, and quite often infrastructure, that's not the case. It, what does good look like for carbon management? How do you look at it? How do you measure it? And this is both operational carbon and embodied carbon. And PAS 2080 has been out there for quite some time, and we're quite keen to update that and refresh that to make it even more relevant. And discussions continue on some big areas. It's quite, it's quite interesting that there's a lot of news coverage, uh, probably not, not least because Bill Gates in his book of late about climate change and similar picks up a couple of big areas that he thinks we should be looking at. And that includes what is the role here for low carbon concrete? And so, again, working with our experts and engaging with the industry, some discussions to be had here, too, as to where we go next with products and products guidance to make sure that, you know, subject to them being able to still perform safely and robustly as we need them to perform. But can they come in a form that has you know lower amounts of carbon embedded within them? So, you know, those would be the areas. I just wonder as a final thought, and you know, looking ahead, where does where does the sector and standards go next? Well, you know, I've touched upon them already, but there's there's two big horizontals going through. And, and so I'm going to focus in on those, Matt. I mean, first and foremost, digital transformation, digital enablement. Yeah, we've got a long way to go in our sector yet. So there's lots there. But when we drill into that, what does that really mean? Uh, so for me, you know, as a former regulator, uh, what's really interesting is that we're now seeing something called reg tech come into play. And the role of machine readable standards. Now, I know you've had our colleague Ivan do one of these podcasts and, and brilliantly was too. That particular Ivan is Ivan Salcedo. And the episode was episode 18 on the future of standards. But what we're now seeing is a desire to start taking our content as a national standards body and our built environment content going forward and actually make it machine readable. So it can be pulled into software that itself can be utilized to undertake a first pass of regulatory compliance checking in terms of building regulations. And it's not binary. I mean, what sort of blows my mind from a digital perspective is that, yes, it can do the checking of travel distances and size of steps and width of staircases, but it also, in the way it's written by the experts that write it, can undertake subjectivity. Because quite often in the built environment, you know, you don't get a simple fit. Sometimes, a corridor needs to be longer, or then might need to be a slight change of arrangement for a stair. This software that's now being developed in a number of the universities and academia generally and within industry is this reg tech software. So I, going forward, we're going to see movement in that space. And then we, and therefore, for us as, 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 you know, as the provider of standards and what good looks like, that has a knock-on effect of how we provide our content and how, yes, people will still want to open a, a soft copy PDF document or similar but also how do we make it available for being drawn into these into the into these programs into this software of the future so that's going to be a big piece we're also seeing yet more advancement in terms of smart technology in buildings yeah it started in sort of non-domestic and it continues and we'll touch upon that in a minute but i've only got to look at my home um, you know i've got cameras i've got sensors i've got you know other, other brands are available, but I've got a Hive control system for my heating and hot water. This sort of control mechanism are, you know, can be truly invaluable going forward because they do allow you to monitor and real-time control a property. 
with, with your eye on, on sustainability and reducing your carbon footprint. Um, and they can have to security and similar. So again, we're going to start seeing even more uptake of, of such technology. And in the commercial sector, what we've been lacking over the years is that to get real-time feedback means we can actually make changes there and then to, to you know, a major property like our offices in, in Chiswick, where they can, you know, you look at footfall, you can see that numbers are low in one area, so you turn the air conditioning up or down depending on the weather or similar. But you can, you can, it's very controlling, so it's real time. And also, what this feedback loop allows is where it's taken and utilised in the right way. And data will be, you know, will be hugely powerful and hugely valuable in the future. Is it can actually downstream help you design buildings better because you understand the human engagement piece, you understand the operation. And so that digital piece there is huge. That coupled with what I spoke about earlier in the podcast in terms of a golden thread of information to help people better understand what they've got in their building and how to operate and how to maintain it. You know, BSI, yes, we're known for producing standards, but we do a lot more than that. And so, you know, we're coming out very shortly having worked with the construction products industry, we've developed something called BSI Identify, which uses a, you know, a unique uh, identification process. And the, the power of digital object identifiers, and we use them actually in our standards as well. Every British standard has a DOI, a digital object identifier, that if you click on that link, uh, which will never hang, it will never break. It uses the handle system on the internet. Uh, it's persistent. It will take you to a landing page for that standard. Okay, where you can understand what the standards about. If you want to go, if you want to go and open it on our British Standards Online Library, or if you want to purchase it, if you don't have it, that's how it works. And we worked hard, really hard, uh, with industry, and Construction Products Association, and others to see if we can turn that and use that unique identifier, which is persistent, on construction products in the future. And you can. And so we'll be coming forward shortly, having worked with the likes of the Construction Products Association with this ability to provide a unique and persistent identifier on a door or a window as a physical item that actually in the future you'll be able to scan with your phone, either QR code or near field technology, and it will take you to the landing page of that product. So again, you always know what you've got in your building. What is it? How does it perform? I need to replace it. Where do I get it from? And so things like that with a, with a digital backdrop, this is, this is the power. This is the platform of, of the mobile technology and digital technology that we're embracing. So there's lots of exciting things happening there from a, from a digital enablement and a data-driven approach for me. And then, you know, as we're talking uh, to Cindy, I mean, for me, achieving net zero and sustainability is, is key. We've come a long way in the sector, but if you, if you compare us to energy, um, and the energy sector, if you compare us to mobility, you know, they've made great advancements in reducing the carbon emissions. We're some way behind that. So we've now got to think about what, what else is needed in terms of standards, in terms of actually further reducing. Yes, we've touched upon energy efficiency retrofit in, in, in existing homes and, and non-domestic buildings. But what else should we be doing? What other guidance needs to be put in place around perhaps the circular economy in terms of how we can better achieve lower carbon products? And we spoke about car, uh, concrete, but there's more we can do elsewhere. But again, working with the industry. And then, you know, I keep coming back and I suppose it's because I've worked in the industry for so many years now the quality aspect really bothers me the compliance aspect really bothers me and hence we're now seeing we've seen considerable government investment 
with your money and my money, in the likes of the Construction Innovation Hub, which are looking at advancements in the space of off-site and modular construction. So what we're seeing is, well, can we build a home in a factory and then, you know, take the components out and then rebuild it in the built environment? Because, again, if you're building things in, in, in a factory condition, one would presume that even for the built environment, you'd get better quality. You'd know what you've got. It would be better performing. And so, you know, we're working closely with the CIH, the Construction Innovation Hub, and they've got a website you can look at of what we could do. And, you know, we're having discussions now of maybe future schools being built as modular buildings. And what standards do you need to put in place to support that in terms of interoperability of products? How do you then receive it on site? The standards of workmanship to receive something highly engineered and manufactured that then gets put on a, on a British construction site, which won't have the same tolerances as what it's receiving off the back of a low loader that's come out of an advanced manufacturing base. And so there's going to be a lot there. So for me, digital sustainability, carbon abatement, net zero target, that, those, are, those are the real big ticket items, but just the business as usual. When you've got a portfolio like we've got in the built environment, working with our experts, there's always something that needs doing and re-looking really at to maintain this, this cadre of information of, of good practice uh, that is up to date and is cognizant of what the industry is doing and what it now needs. Our thanks to Ant Bird for sharing his experiences, expertise and insights on standards and the built environment with us. To find out more about standards of the built environment, check out the links in the episode notes. You have been listening to an episode of the BSI Education Podcast. To find out more, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education. just heard a stripped media production.